Welcome to Daily Drive Time Devotions and to day four of our look through James chapter four. We're going to look at verses eight to ten today. We're taking this week to look at how God lifts us up. First, he has to lift us out and then he lifts us up. And yesterday we began to look at what it means for him to lift us up. We humble ourselves. We submit to him. And we began to look at five practical commands for submitting to God. The first, you remember, was we resist the devil. There are four more practical commands in verses 8 to 10. Let me read those verses for you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Come near to God. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts, grieve, mourn, and wail. When I want God to lift me up, first I resist the devil, and then I come near to God. Now, near means relationship. I draw near to him. Draw me closer. What do you do when you feel far from God? Do you begin to blame him? Do you wonder where he is? Do you wonder why he isn't close to you? Let me tell you this. When when you feel far from God, when I feel far from God, he hasn't moved. God's presence is everywhere. God is always as close to you as any other moment of your life. So when I feel far from God, when I begin to blame God, that's a ridiculous blame because the truth is God hasn't moved, I have. So what do I need to do? I need to come near to him. Satan's temptation is, oh, God's not there. You feel far from God because he doesn't care about you. So don't come near to him. Of course, Satan doesn't want you to come near to him because he knows what'll happen. Come near to him, and here's the promise. He will come near to you. He always has been near. But you're not going to see it until you make a faith decision to come near to him. Maybe you've been feeling far from God lately. You can make that faith decision right now. God, I come near to you. I realize you're here. You see every moment of my life. You never let me down. You never will let me down. You will always be with me. You come near to God. That's how God lifts you up. You stay near to him, in relationship to him throughout the day, talking to him throughout the day, realizing that he's with you throughout the day. God's not with you once a week at a worship service or once a day in a daily devotional time. He's with you all throughout every day. Come near to God. Draw near. The third of these five things that James encourages us to do to draw near to God, to be lifted up, is to wash your hands. Now, what does that mean, wash your hands, you sinners? Well, the Old Testament priests had to wash their hands and their feet before entering the church. It it, it was a sign of uh, purity in their outward life. Your, Your hands point to your entire outward life. And the idea here is to do the right things in your life, to live a life that's filled with godly actions. Wash your hands, you sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. So in that honest admission of who we are, we recognize even because of God's grace, only because of God's grace, I can live out the kind of life that God wants me to live out. I can do the things that he wants me to do in life. So I choose to do those things. We need to wash our hands because we're sinners. We need to live out a life of doing the good things that God's called us to do. But because we're sinners, we don't do them on our own power. We do them based on his forgiveness, his power, his spirit within us. You wash your hands, but then he says also, number four, purify your hearts. Purify your hearts. 
Washing your hands, that points to the entire outward life. Purifying your hearts, that points to the inner life. Gene Getz says this is not about just turning over a new leaf, but a change at the root level of life. God's made you a new person in Jesus Christ. So he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. You remember in James chapter 1, we talked about being double-minded. Life that's filled with doubt, trusting in myself, trusting in God. What should I do? Purify your hearts. Decide, I'm going to trust in God. Then there's a fifth decision that James encourages us to make. He encourages us, if we want God to lift us up, to grieve and mourn and wail. In fact, he says, I want you to turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, what is that about? I mean, we look at this and we think, doesn't God want my life to be filled with joy? Doesn't he want his people to be filled with happiness and and laughter? Why would he say that part of being lifted up by God is to turn my, my joy to gloom? Well, James knew who he was talking to. He knew that there are people, and these were people in in that day, that were putting on a joyful act, but their lives were filled with sin. You see, there are a lot of people today like that. Well, there's a lot of joy on the outside, but it's just an act. And, And you think, aren't Christians supposed to be joyful? How could he say change your joy to gloom? He's talking about a false joy. He's saying that if it's going to become real joy, it's going to begin with sorrow for living your life at this shallow level of pretending I have joy instead of enjoying God's genuine joy in my life. Now, I want you to catch this because it's key to understanding the book of James. When James talks about joy here, he's not using the word in a way that you would usually expect. In fact, he's using the word somewhat sarcastically. You might think of it as having quotes around it. And if you're going to understand the book of James, you have to understand he tends to use words that way. He talks about joy, but he means, with quotes around it, what you're calling joy. Take what you're calling joy, you need to turn that to gloom and be sad about the fact that you've called this false joy genuine joy. He does the same thing when he talks about faith. When James says faith without works is dead, you can put a quotes around those words, that word faith. He's talking about so-called faith, what you call faith. If it's not causing any difference in your life, any different way of acting, it's dead. He does the same thing with wisdom. He talks about our so-called wisdom. But then he talks about here's God's genuine wisdom. Once you understand that James sometimes uses words sarcastically, I know you think, how could the Bible speak in that kind of way? Well, James certainly does. He takes words that people were thinking they were living up to. And he says, that's not what God intended. He didn't intend this false joy, this false faith, this false wisdom. So he puts quotes around those words and he says, take what you call joy, what you call faith, what you call wisdom, trade them in and begin to live out the genuine joy, the real life of faith, the true wisdom that God wants in your life. It's one of the major messages of the book of James. James here, when he talks about joy and gloom, he's saying it's healthy to be sorry when we sin. In fact, he's saying, unless you express that sorrow, depression is on the way. If you pretend you've never sinned, if you never sit for a moment with God and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've sinned. I'm sorry for what that sin has done to your heart. And I'm sorry for what that sin has meant in my life and how it's hurt other people's lives. If you've never done that, you pretend that that sorrow isn't there, then you're living a false life. 
Now, you don't live in that sorrow. You don't stay in that sorrow. The Bible tells us that while weeping may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Many times it's through grief, through weeping, that we arrive at joy because we let go of what we, the false thing we've been holding on to, the false peace, the false joy, the false hope. And in letting go of that false thing, we find what's real, what's genuine. You see, James here is talking to people whose lives had been caught up in living in selfish sin. Christians who were living life the way that they wanted, not the way that God wanted. Oh, they were believers. But they were living their kind of life based on their riches, their ideas, their plans, their definitions of faith and joy. And James is saying here, if that's going to change, you need to grieve. You need to grieve what you've lost by living your way. And even more, you need to grieve the hurt that you've brought to the heart of God. You don't grieve as someone who is not forgiven. You grieve in light of the cross, but you grieve so that you can let it go. Grief is part of letting something go. You grieve so that you can let that false way of life go and live the kind of life that God has for you. So he ends this passage by saying, you humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, how do you do this? What does it mean to humble yourself before the Lord? Does that mean I have to, to get on my, my, my knees daily for a certain number of hours each day? What does this mean? Humility is recognizing the truth about who God is and the truth about who you are. And to humble yourself before the Lord. Notice here it says, humble yourself. It doesn't say let God humble you or humiliate you. This isn't something you wait on God to do in your life. No, you humble yourself. You intentionally choose to think in a different way, to think about who God is and to think about who you are, to think about the fact that God is creator and you are creation, to think about the fact that God is savior and you are sinner in need of a savior, to think about the fact that God is father and you are his child once you come to accept Jesus, to think about the fact that God is the gardener, Jesus is the vine, you are the branch, Jesus is the Lord, you are the servant, you're the one in need of love. God is the one who loves. You humble yourself before the Lord. You recognize who he is, who you are, and he will lift you up. Now as we pray today, I want to, together in prayer, talk to the Lord about the five things we've looked at the last two days. Five ways to submit to God. And prayerfully, just consider which of these you might need to do. Resist the devil. Is there some place where you need to begin to say no to a temptation and say yes to God? Draw near to God. Have you been so focused on your life and your things and your to-do list lately that God's been left off the list? Draw near to Him in your heart right now. Recognize how near He is to you. Wash your hands. Is there a place where you need to begin to do the things that God has called you to do, to use your hands to serve Him? Purify your hearts. Is there a place where you need to begin to think in new ways, in godly ways? Grieve and mourn and wail. Do you need to take some false image of joy or peace or faith that you've built up in your life and realize, God, I've been settling for my image of peace, faith, joy, hope, love, and I'm not going to settle for that anymore. 
I grieve the past. I grieve that I held on to that for so long. But I grieve it so that I can begin to live out the life that you have for me. I want your joy. I want your love. I want your peace. I want your hope in my life. God, teach me what that is. I need you to teach me. Teach me what that is. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.